Uh, Going now into chapter 4, verse 11. Let's listen to God's holy word. Let us therefore strive or, or make haste or endeavor, give every effort to enter that rest. What rest is this? This is the Sabbath rest that God entered into at creation, at the conclusion of creation on the seventh day, so that no one... And our congregation, or the congregation there he's addressing, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That is the disobedience of those who were in the wilderness who did not enter God's rest because they did not believe the promised. And then he gives us the reason, right? Here's the foundation of what he's arguing. For, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, that is, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers, the flowers fail, we fail, but God, who is rich in mercy, God who's breathed out his word for us, who speaks to us today, is faithful, and may he give his eternal blessing to the exposition of his holy word. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we come not to be entertained, we come not to be Uh, Hear the words of a man, we come to meet with you, the living God who speaks present tense through your holy word. We come to encounter you in this word that you breathed out through your apostles and prophets. We come asking that you illuminate our minds to understand what you have breathed out and what you have revealed For the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. We do not have the discernment necessary. So Holy Spirit, come as we who are in Christ have the mind of Christ that we might know your truth and by your truth be sanctified and be made more Christ-like in what we think, what we set our affections on, what we desire, what we love, and the intentions of our heart. Oh, Lord, come and search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us, even this day, and lead us in the way of everlasting life that we might endeavor, we might make haste to enter the rest that yet remains, that we might be faithful to the very end. We pray this in the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have repeatedly seen, have we not, church, that the author of Hebrews wants his readers, he wants the church he's addressing to understand that they are in a wilderness situation, that the church today, as we live between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, we live in a wilderness situation. And I almost have to say this because I think it's so important that we understand that. If we understand the GPS of where we are, the coordinates, the latitude and longitude of where we are positionally, it's going to go a long way in our understanding how to live the Christian life in this world. As those who partake in of the kingdom already inaugurated in the 
resurrection of Christ, and yet who have not arrived in that eternal rest, that Canaan that yet remains for the children of God, that we're pilgrims along the way, we're, we're strangers, we're, we're aliens. And if you have that mindset, now just think, if you have that mindset, it's going to affect in the way that you look at all of life. It's so formative to our worldview, to, to the spectacles by which we read and understand all that God is revealing, not only in His Word, but in His general revelation, in His providence as we look upon how things are happening, how things are unfolding. It's imperative that we understand that we are in a wilderness situation. And while the Bible nowhere overlooks the reality of our earthly existence as Christians, it does stress and it exalts in the fact that those who belong to Christ possess a heavenly life, that that we have a destiny, that we're a people of destiny. Isn't that amazing? It, It just doesn't end at the grave for the child of God. No, we have a destiny that we're going to Once we've already entered into, even now, one day we're going to enter in the fullest sense this new heavens and new earth. And while there's already joy in the reality to salvation, the Bible is clear that for the child of God, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. In Hebrews 12, 22, we're told, you have already come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And yet we're told as well in the same book, just a chapter before, chapter 11, verse 10, we are not yet in the city that has the foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Are we in the city or are we not in the city? What's the answer according to the New Testament? Yes. 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 We taste it, but we've not arrived in God's final Sabbath. We are therefore strangers and pilgrims. And the preacher desire in Hebrews is for the church to, to visualize herself as in the wilderness with God's Sabbath rest, with this Canaan that yet remains as held out before them. You see, he wants Christians to realize the, the dangers that surround them on every side in this wilderness, whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. But he also not only wants us to understand the dangers that lie out before the Christian and before the church, he wants to encourage us, how do we endure? How do we endure through this world? How do we overcome the flesh? How do we overcome the God of this age, the devil himself? And he does this in his epistle through both warnings and encouragements. And we've seen over the past few weeks... Particularly, he wants his readers and us to avoid the the same mistake that the nation of Israel made there in the wilderness because of their failure to believe the message they heard. Yeah, I've heard that before. I believe in justification by faith alone. Right? I'm, I'm all squared. I can relax. I don't need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works within me. No, that's that's not pertinent to me. That's not germane to this Christian. And he would have, no, 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 no. No church. No church. Let us fear. Let us fear. Lest the same providence that befell Israel in the wilderness befalls you, you see. You see, today... 
is God's day to believe, right? Let us, therefore, strive to enter, make any effort to enter that rest. Let nothing in all of life be more important to you so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see, it's a team sport. We're all in this together. We're accountable to each other. I am my brother's keeper. It should concern me when, when... believers are forsaking themselves the assembling together, right? Where's Jim today? I haven't seen him in weeks. wonder where he is. I'll, I'll write him a note. No, I'm not an officer in the church. How could I? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, let every Tom, Dick, and Harry write a note to Jim. Could you imagine Jim sitting out there just thinking he can coast? You know, I love Jesus. He loves me. I like sinning. He likes forgiving. It's a pretty good gig. You know, this is how this thing works, right? Very casual, laissez-faire attitude to Christian life. Could you imagine if, if Jim gets a letter from all 60 households? You laugh, but could you imagine? Think about it. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Fear, the Word of God says. Fear, lest we fail to enter, Right? Today is the day. We must make the pursuit of entering God's rest the the most important thing. Notice how he anchors this admonition, this imperative there in verse 12. The first word of verse 12 gives us the reason. Notice it's a three-letter word. You could translate it because or, or for. Why fear? Why make every effort to enter God's rest? Because the Word of God, now listen, because the Word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Because the Word of God is not to be doubted. It's not to be dismissed. The message of the promise the Exodus generation lightly discarded in scorn, we must pay fair, careful attention to, lest we, like they, fail to enter God's rest, God's Sabbath rest that yet remains. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't sit there in the pew. Don't stand there behind the, the pulpit and say, well, you know, I've already heard this before. <laughs> I could do a better job than that clown. No. Fear, lest you fail to enter. You like breathing, right? Oxygen's kind of important. Well, that's the mindset. It's like you're suffocating. You need this word. You live by the words that proceed from the mouth of God. I need that word, that living word. Sometimes I believe our tendency is to view the warnings of the Bible the same way some people view airline safety checks. Right? You get ready to fly to Atlanta, Delta, Monday morning, Mr. Fender. Right? I think it leaves at 5.05. Flown it once or twice. Mr. Hutton's done it many times. I've seen the safety check. I could give the safety check. Right? You don't pay attention. Right? You just, I've been there, done that. It's all had. But you ever notice there's perhaps every now and then you fly, there's one or two people who've never flown. What are they doing? They're locked in. 
kill me. What do I need to do if this, this piece of this tin can falls from 30,000 feet? Where's the exits? I want to know. Who's sitting beside the exits? You see. Why? They're, they're sobered by the fact that they're in a piece of tin flying at 30,000 feet at 730 miles an hour. That if that thing falls out of the sky, you're going to give an account because you're going to be meeting your maker. Today, you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Right? This is the, the exact same thing that that generation did in Numbers 14. We read a few weeks back. Let me just remind you, they're mourning the consequences of not being able to enter the promised land. God had promised it. They sent the spies out. Two spies come back and say, we can do this. We got this. Why? Because we're strong? No. We're weak. We're but flesh. But our God is the living God. The triune God. He's promised. He's not a man that he should lie. No, I'll lie to you, but he can't lie. He's sworn that to give us this land. But they failed to believe the words of Caleb and Joshua. And he believed the, the, the complaints of the other ten. So God therefore said, they're not going to enter his rest. Caleb and Joshua will, but the rest will not because they didn't believe Though they had seen great things. But the next morning, right after God says they're not going to enter his rest, he's sworn they're mourning the consequences of disobedience, kind of like Esau. Remember Esau? Remember what he did after he sold his birthright? He thought it was not much to it, right? The, the warning, the brochure, the safety check. He cast it aside. He sold it for a bowl of stew. And then he sought it with what, as Hebrews tell us? He, he sought that birthright that he had sold so quickly with tears, but it wasn't granted to him. And that's exactly what happened to the wilderness generation. They sought it with tears. We're told the next morning they arose early, saying, We'll go up. Moses said, Don't do it. The Lord is not among you. You shall fall by the sword. But the people presumed, the word of God says, to go up, though neither Moses nor the ark went with them. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites defeated them with what? With the sword. Do you think it's in the mind of the reader, the writer? That sword that falls, sharper than any two-edged sword. Razor sharp on both sides, it fell. It fell not to heal, to salvation. It fell to cut to judgment. Beloved, again, the people heard the word of God, but they failed to believe it. Because the word of God is living and active, that's why they fail. That's why they fell into judgment. So what is it about this precious word of God, this book that you hold in your hands? You're holding it in your hands? Some of you are. What is it about this word that's so precious? As you study it and you get to know it, you, you soon find out it, it's, it's really not we who read the Word. Right? It's the Word who reads us. The, the Word's reading me. I remember the first time I began to read the Word of God as I was longing for answers to life's deep philosophical questions. Who am I? Where am I going? What is it all about? And I began to read the Word of God because I took God at His Word. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be given unto you as well. And I began to seek His face. He who seeks me shall find me, says the living God. And I began to take Him at His Word. 
And I thought I was growing in knowledge of the Word, and I was, yes. But you know what I came to understand? It, it wasn't me who was seeking God. It was the Nazarene, the God-man, who was seeking me and exposing me and peeling the onion of my heart, exposing the idolatry in my heart, my self-righteousness, my pedigree. Well, let's look quickly at five characteristics of this word, this word of God. It's living, one. It's active, two. It's sharp, three. Four, it discerns. It discerns. It gets into the nooks and crannies of our heart. And fifthly, it uncovers. It pulls back the mask, the little Sunday veneers that we have. You see, we're blind not only to God, we're, we're blind to ourselves. You see, that's, that's the thing you need to know. That's why you need to be in the Word of God. Not only so you can know Him, the living God, but that you might know you, who you are, before the living God. Let's look first. The Word of God is living. Now, you think to yourself, how is this Word living? It's just words on a page. It's nice, nice paper. Got a beautiful Bible a great friend of mine gave me. I would say it's imitation leather, but it's not. It's calfskin. It's very nice. How is it living? It's living because the God who gives it is living. Beloved, God's Word takes on God's own characteristics. Unlike a newspaper you read today and then you throw it away tomorrow, it's dated and so forth. The Word of God is eternally alive. You see, God has invested His Word with a dynamic quality about it. it. It's not simply the commands of God. It's God's personal Word. It's a living Word. God is present in the Word. He's speaking through the Word. Did you notice that? We've said it over and over. I have. It's in the present tense. It's not that He has spoken but that he's speaking. He's speaking when you hear the Word of God read, when you hear the Word of God preached. He's speaking, right? Unlike a, a biography or an autobiography, right? If you read a biography on Lincoln or, or Jefferson or Washington, right? No matter how wonderful it is, the author is not present in the Word, but in the Bible, when you begin to open the Bible and you begin to expound the Bible and read the Bible, you begin to understand there's, there's someone else here with me in the Word of God. And it's God himself as he confronts us, as his presence is manifest in his holy word. Behind every word lies the living God. It's not a dead word. Spoken by dead men from the past, it's a living oracle. It's also living because of what it does. 
It's the instrument by which God imparts life. Right? Do you, do you want to grow in faith? Very simply, let me give you the syllogism. Do you want to grow in faith? Yes, there's not a person, not a Christian here who does not want to grow in faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing the word. The word of God. It's the instrument by which we're given new birth. Listen to 1 Peter 1. Or 1 Peter 2, 23 through 25. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. James also echoes this same sentiment in his own epistle, chapter 118. Of his own will he brought us forth by what? By the word. You want to grow in faith? You want to grow in knowledge of God? You, you want to grow in knowledge of yourself? You want to help your neighbor live the Christian life? It comes through the word. The powerful word of God. Think about this. Husbands, think about this. As we, as we wash our wives with the word. We sanctify them by the word. Can I explain it all? No, I cannot. But by faith, I take him at his word. Fathers, with your children, you want to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Expose them through the word. If for no other reason, you'll take them to the water where they can get wet in the word. You'll take them to the word. Young man, you want to live a pure life? You want victory over the pornography that plagues you? How might a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, this is how it comes. This is how you live the Christian life. And if you think you can only do it with a 35 or 40 minute sermon once a week, somehow combat the world, the flesh, and the devil, you are sadly mistaken. You need to be daily in the Word. It's the daily grace of God that constrains my heart, right? See, you must be in the Word. Church, this is why we center everything around the Word here at All Saints. We, we teach the Word. We, we preach the Word. We sing the Word. And by grace, we seek to obey and believe the Word. Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, how did Timothy learn the Word? There wasn't a father in the home, but there was a faithful grandmother. Oh, praise God for faithful grandmothers and mothers, like Timothy's mom or Augustine's mom, Monica who prayed for Augustine, right? 
taught him the word. And it was that word that was sown. Because it's a living word, it will haunt that child. Mr. Fender prayed for young people who've grown up in the church, perhaps made a profession of faith, and now have since walked away or just kind of slide away or drift away. But call upon God to remember that word that you were so faithful to plant into that heart of that child. It's a living word. It's unlike any other book. It's a living word, and it accomplishes all that God set it forth to do. You see, that leads us to our second point. The the word of God is active. It's energetic. This word in the Greek here is the word from which we get our word energy. The word has energy. Can you explain it? Oh, how does a word have energy? I don't know. I I don't know, Pastor Bullock, but I, I know the word of God says it has energy. It's effective. It's powerful. It's productive. God speaks and it happens. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. And what? Was there a pause? No, let there be light. And there was light. Right? Psalm 33-6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. You see, all that God sends out his word to do, it accomplishes it. This is the dynamic idea that Jeremiah speaks of in Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces? It's an uncontrollable word. You you can't domesticate this word. This word raises the dead. It's this word that Ezekiel is charged to preach to those dead bones, Ezekiel. How stupid is that? To go over to Woody's and begin preaching to those people who died, their bodies are there in those caskets. No, that's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. Preach the word. Because the word is powerful. It's not just some intellectual exercise that you master. No, the word comes and masters you. Masters me. It it brings us in love under the yoke of the living word. That I'm the servant. He's the Lord. I'm not the one reading the word. The word is reading me. The word is searching me. The word is changing me. It's creating faith where there was none. It's taking away this heart of stone and, and giving me a heart of flesh to believe the word. Oh, parents, fathers, are you reading the word to the children? Are you? Oh, are you breathing? Are you giving your kids oxygen? Get them before the word. Let the word do its work. As Luther said, oh, Luther, you're so great. You're so wonderful. Oh, be quiet. That's not what Luther said. He didn't say it so kindly. No, I did nothing. I did nothing. No, it was the Word. The Word was unleashed. Right? It had been cloaked in traditions of men. Superstition in the Roman Catholic Church had cloaked it. But after darkness, there was light. And the light came forth through weak men preaching a powerful living Word that's living and active, that changed the world in the 16th century. 
Could not God do it now in the 21st? Do you doubt it? Do I doubt it? Oh, it's the Word that does it all, you see. This Word that comes like a hammer. This Word that Isaiah said, Matthew, Matt Fender read, Isaiah 55, 10, For as the rain and the snow come forth from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth, It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that for which purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. It's always working. Oh, to have ears to hear, eyes to see. It's beloved, it's because this word is living and active. Because it accomplishes all that God sends it forth, we are always praying with the psalmist in Psalm 119, O Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you pray that for the pastor on Sunday morning? You need to. Oh, God, we want to hear from you, God. We don't want to hear Mr. Bullock. We want to hear the living God. We want you to come and deal with us. Come and meet with me, O God, in this hour. Come under the means of your grace and blessing. The Bible is clear that by nature, that is in our Adamic flesh, we're blind and deaf to what God is saying. We need the gracious work of God's Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to receive and believe what God is saying in his word. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Listen, the natural person that is, the person in their Adamic flesh does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them. They're, they're foolish to them. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If you believe that verse, you should be seeking the Father's face every Saturday night and Sunday morning. Oh, Lord, we long to hear your voice. We long to meet with you in this word. You see, apart from God the Holy Spirit working in and through the word, the word proves enigmatic. It proves confusing. But in the power of the Spirit, the word pulsates with power. It's living. It's active. And thirdly, the word is sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of, of joints and marrow. Now, when he uses this metaphor of soul and spirit, piercing, penetrating, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, he's not parsing out the the psychological or the uh, uh, parts of the human soul or body, but rather he's using rich metaphors to show us exactly how powerful this word is. It can probe and expose the innermost part of our being. It's, it's able to bring to light our actions, but not only our actions, but our motives, why we do what we do, All right? Why you serve in the church, why you do what you do, see? This is why this sermon at times can seem so relevant in our, our, our lives. So many times, occasionally, many times, after the sermon, I'll go to the back or be up here, well, Pastor, you were speaking to me. Now, I wish I could take credit for it, but I cannot. It's God's Word 
that searches. It, it's God's word that penetrates and pierces as that sharp two-edged sword. It's God's word that exposes those motives. He says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, right? The sword of the Spirit can and does cut to heal, just like a surgeon, right? Right? If you were diagnosed with cancer, suppose you had a, a brain tumor. I was watching a TV show the other day, and the gentleman was having brain surgery, and he was still awake, actually strumming a guitar while they were operating, had his cranium open, right? That they were removing a tumor out of his, his skull. Right? This word functions like that. The, the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword in the hand of a s- surgeon, to remove this tumor from the patient, but it can also judge, right? Like it did in Numbers 14. It either saves or condemns. It, it's never dull. It cuts through our resistance, right? The Roman sword had to be sharp. It was about two foot in length. Both edges were sharp, and it would cut. It would have to cut through armor. But you think about it now. Think with me. What's the hardest thing in all of the universe to cut through? Your unbelieving heart. Not Kevlar. Not reinforced steel. Your heart. It has to be so strong to cut through your resistance. Through your self-righteousness. Through your own pedigree. Through your own resume. It It has to come and expose you. And cut you. That it might heal you. It might mend you. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Fourthly, the Word of God discerns. Verse 12 continues. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. This word discerns means to, it denotes the Word's ability to break through pretense and confusion, to expose the reality of our inmost being. When you hear this, you, you can't help but think of Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You, you discern my thoughts from afar. You, you search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with you. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, Lord, you know it. You know all things and you, you know me, God. There's no need to hide. There's no need to be like Adam, hiding. You know, we're always hiding. We're hiding from God. We're hiding from one another. But I challenge you, you're, you're hiding from yourself. When you don't expose yourself to the Word of God. You say true knowledge begins with the knowledge of God and His Word. And in reflection, you know yourself. You see, beloved, we might be able to hide from friends, from neighbors, even our spouse, but you cannot hide from God. He knows. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we think even before we think it. He discerns all that's going on in the deep recesses of our being. This word weighs us. It evaluates our intentions. In chapter 3, verse 12, he told us to, to guard our hearts, right, from having them contaminated by the deceitfulness of sin. So how are you going to guard your heart, right? This word that reads us and searches us is the only thing and powerful enough to lead us out of sin's deception and fog, right? It cleanses us. It keeps us from sin. It, it counsels us. Psalm 119, 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You need wisdom, church. Right? You need to know what God requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. You want to be discerning? Then get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God become your counselor. 
The word gives comfort and affliction and gives life. Again, Psalm 119, 92 to 93. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Lord, I would have perished if your word had not been my counselor. If your precepts had not been my God, I, I don't know what I would have done. Where would I be without your word? The word gives light. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. It, it imparts understanding to the simple. This morning, are you naive? Are you simple? Do you want to grow in wisdom? Then get in the Word. Get in the Word. Immerse yourself in the Word. It gives peace, right? You have a troubled conscience. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. You see. Well, but it's the Word that gets through and gets through us and enables us to make it through the wilderness of this life. It's this word that will safely get us to God's Sabbath rest. It's a light into our path, a lamp unto my feet. I don't know which way to go. Let me go to the word. What does the word say about this? What does it say about marriage? What does it say about showering? What does it say about vocation? What's it say about sex? What's it say about money? What's it say about all that my soul needs? What does the word of God say? You see, it's my portion. Oh, to have thy word. Oh, that God would speak to me in his word. Are you treasuring the word? You love the word. It's living, it's active, it's sharp, it discerns. And fifthly, the word of God uncovers and exposes. But I want you to notice, did you notice this in verse 13? The author shifts talking about the Word, to now talking about the God of the Word, right? Reminding us just how closely God and His Word are related, right? God is present in this Word. God is the one who confronts us. And He says there, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You see, there is no hidden crevice of the heart that is unsearchable to the Word. There's no rock we can hide under. The Word pulls, us, pulls back the curtain on our souls, right? It lifts the veil of our thoughts and intentions. It, it shines its brilliant light in the darkness and forces us to deal honestly with what's hidden within. You, know, right? you want to change? You want to no longer be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind you must be in the word right you see all our secret sins are laid bare before him before whose eyes we must give an account you see it's this word that we must hide in our hearts for the christian the glory of this word that exposes is not to our shame but rather to bring us to repentance and faith in the one who can wash us from our filth and sin yes it exposes pride and self-righteousness yes it convicts and yes it its conviction is often painful, but oh, how we praise God for that pain of conviction. Oh, to have the pain of conviction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not blessed are those who have it all together, who are secure in their own false sense of security and self-righteousness. 
No, not blessed are they. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who tremble at his word, who hear it preached, who hear it faithfully read, who tremble at it, who hide it in their hearts. You see. You see, it does expose our pride and our self-righteousness. And this conviction is often painful. But God's purpose in all of this is for his children is redemptive. It's life-giving. It's life-giving word which we come to know God. It's where we encounter God. It's where we encounter Christ, the living Christ. He deals with us. The incarnate word deals with us and communes with us. And in turn, we know ourselves. And I alluded to this earlier, but I want to quote it specifically. It's Calvin Book 1, paragraph 1, chapter 1. It is certain that a man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looked on God's face in Jesus Christ and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. You see, we cannot know ourselves until we know who God is in Jesus Christ. And God is giving us his word this morning that we would not follow the example of Israel's disobedience, but rather that we might believe and enter God's rest. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your holy word. We do pray, Father, that you would continue to search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting life. That we would pursue you in your word that we would pant after you as the deer pants after the streams so our souls would pant after you and find you in your holy word, that we would treasure your word, that we would hide your word in our heart, that we would meditate day and night on your word, that we might be like trees planted beside streams of water that yields its fruit in season, all the seasons of life, the highs, the lows, and everything in between, that your word would be our portion. It would be our delight. Oh, Father, that we would prize it above everything else to love your word. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, may you give us this desire, this love for your holy word. We pray this in your holy name. Oh, living word of God, we pray. Amen and amen.